0: Hey there. You are about to listen to episode 53 of Existential and boy are you, I was going to say, and boy are you in for a treat and it just felt so cheesy about to come out of my mouth. So I stopped myself and didn't say it, but you still heard it. Let me get to the point. (laughs) You're about to listen to episode 53 of Existential, but before you do, there's a couple things I want to tell you about. First, if you are not currently a part of the Patreon community, I want to invite you to join that community of people they are so awesome, so inspiring to me, not only through their financial support, which is important, but through their words of affirmation, through knowing that there are people who are who so believe that we can contend for a better world, that they're willing to um, put their their money where their mouth is and willing to be a part of a community that speaks um, speaks to me that encourages me and also receives some of some exclusive content and gives some feedback on some of those things so uh, for as little as ten dollars a month if you're not a part of the patreon community now you can become a part of that community secondly this episode that you're about to listen to is was recorded in front of a live like a live-ish I should say studio audience I mean we still are in COVID it was a Facebook live audience But it was recorded in front of of a Facebook Live audience, which makes it a little bit extra fun, I guess. This is with my friend Sanchez and Cedric over at Token Confessions. We recorded this about four weeks ago, or however long ago it was, just before the election. So without further ado, let's get into episode 53. It's Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leek. Thanks for listening. Welcome to whatever episode this is that I'm recording right now. Thank you for, for listening. Uh, on the podcast today, I have uh, Cedric and Sanchez from the Token Confessions podcast. A couple of friends of mine that, that are out here doing great work uh, with their podcast and just with their work in life. In fact, Cedric, uh, fun fact, is a coffee bean roaster on, on the side, one of his side yes. houses. Do you sell the coffee to the public, Cedric? Or are you just like yes, do. you just make it for yourself?
1: Yes, I do. I sell it to the public as well.
0: What is the coffee Anything called? Anything
1: good has got to be shared. If it's really good, it you has to stuff. be.
0: It has to. Be. I mean, what, what's the name of the coffee?
1: It's called Cow Hollow Coffee. So cow like moo, hollow like sleepy hollow coffee.
0: Okay, um, Cow Hollow. Coffee, all right. And Sanchez is also uh, on the Token Confessions podcast. Sanchez, do you also do coffee or something else on the side? Like, what what, what we got going on?
2: Yeah, no, I, I actually own a, it's like a small cafe, restaurant ish thing, so Pretentious coffee, natural pretentious wine, pretentious beer, pretentious food. So <laughs> <All laughs> <of good, though. laughs> it's really good. It's really, really good. So. What is pret-
0: what's pretentious food? I don't I never I don't even know what that is like like that. Um, so bougie. You know, it's bougie.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me being being from the South, it ain't collard greens and. Chitlins and you know, all the all the you know, beans with the ham hock and the net bones in it, and it then it's pretentious. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it, it's very it's very much it's very sophisticated. Um, one of the guys that is our uh head like food manager, he does a, ph- a phenomenal job. And then some of my business partners roast coffee and so it's kind of this package deal that we've got. So but that's kinda of my it does its own thing and then I'm I'm working on my doctorate right now and pastoring a church so life is life is full and crazy
0: it is y'all over here making me sound like i don't do nothing like y'all roasting (laughs) coffee running restaurants raising kids churches writing dissertations man all right well let's let's get it let's listen y'all's podcast is called token confessions and i think i know why you call it that but for people Mm -hmm. who may not know why you call it token confessions and just in case i'm wrong about why why you call it token confessions why is the show called token confessions
1: It's like our two-year anniversary as well. Yep. So so two years ago, this dude named John MacArthur wrote this statement (laughs) talking about how uh, social justice is the greatest threat to the gospel ever. And at that point, we personally— had been screwed over enough times in white evangelical (laughs) churches as a token black guy, that we said, enough is enough. We need Mm -hmm. to start speaking up and sharing our experiences as two dudes, two black dudes that have worked and lived in majority white spaces, in particular white evangelical spaces, to help educate the masses just by sharing our experiences. So I'm kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of it is true. Uh, Um, Hmm. that we just kept getting feedback from our friends, um, that we had met at a conference or a speaker symposium on race that we were both speaking at, um, two years prior to that. So in 2016, and we just had a whole bunch of people kept telling us from our Facebook posts, you guys need to like do a blog or write something. And then we just said, well, we're both not working. Why don't we just start a podcast? So but the MacArthur thing really was that hey, here's a good thing that we can begin to talk about dismantle.
0: MacArthur is I don't really know what to say after the is, all right. But I I, I cause I want to be kind and I'm also realizing that on this actual live recording of this podcast, I it, this is available to the public. I thought it was just the Patreon community, but I see some of y'all's friends and my friend in here trolling us a little bit right now. So, you know, they're talking about they talking about Sanchez hair and uh, you know.
2: So, Allie, so anyway, on me. yeah, Allie
0: Nandi on here giving me a hard time. So um, you know, so let me let me let me plow through because Macarthur, um, you both have academic background with your um, theology and the work you've done here's where I always have attention when it comes to people like MacArthur, right, is that I know he's a fool. I know that he's a white supremacist. I know that, um, you know, his ideas about spirituality are rooted in white male patriarchy. Mm-hmm. But I also know he spent a lot of damn time reading and studying and, like, you know, so as a person that does, like, some reading and some, and, and not even, like, like you guys who've who've gone on to do you know, higher education, like, and and get advanced degrees. I have respect for any person that devotes time to learning about their craft, learning about something they're interested in. But when they arrive at such oppressive, you know, conclusions, I'm just confused. I'm like, how do you study that history? How do you look at these books, look at all this stuff, and arrive at the place that you arrive at with such terrible ideas about God and people? Like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know how y'all read. I don't know how you guys reconcile it.
2: So I, I'll speak from my experience at my seminary, which, um, is an evangelical seminary, but, um, I, I entered seminary in, at two different, different places. So in 2014, I started my journey and that was, you know, at the very beginning of my anti-racism journey, my waking up to the realization that I'm just a pawn in a token, and I did one semester and I was like, I'm done. They're trying to colonize me, yada yada yada. Took a couple of years off, went back in twenty sixteen with a fresh lens and a fresh perspective. And um I I just went in approaching this like I'm gonna get material to like learn and to better understand where people are coming from, but also learn the arguments and why people think the way they do. So, so I, when I approach like scholarly work and and learning, I want to understand why people think the way they do. But I also learned that not everybody in my classes or at the seminary thought like me. A lot of people are just trying to get in the country club, right? So let me learn the key arguments that I need to learn. I don't want to see the gaps of it. Let me reassure my beliefs. Let me reaffirm them. And let me reaffirm what I already know about these uh, individuals or, or this certain uh, strain of theology. And let me mm-hmm. keep it moving. Another thing that I've learned, or not learned, but realized even more, um, a lot of pastors stop learning after they finish their div. Yeah. They get that div, they, they get their languages. They, 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 mm-hmm. they plow through the degree. And they stop learning. So I'm having conversations with guys pastors that are you know, in their 50s and 60s, and the only relevant information they're getting is from the Gospel Coalition, the MacArthur's, the Kevin DeYoung's, all of the, the people that have perspectives or are teaching in the academic setting, not teaching people how to have the tools and think independently from them, but they're teaching people what to think versus my seminary did a great job and my professors and mentors did a great job at teaching me how to think. And that's the biggest threat that I have found with a lot of white pastors um, today, you know, especially even more so now with the Pentecostals, because I called them out on their racism and, and how, you know, you're disguising behind your multiculturalism and you're disguising behind this kingdom theology, but man, like, it is it is I mean, it is about as dangerous as most white progressives in my in my opinion. So mm. but but I would say that's kind of what my vibe and my sense has been is they stop learning and they, they only learn what they want to learn so that they can yeah. they can be in the country club.
1: Yeah. And bro. That's neat. Yeah. My my experience in particular with MacArthur McArthur is, is actually quite interesting because of all the people I know. Probably still to this day, the person that I have encountered that knows the Bible inside and out more than anyone else is my father, who worked on the line at a four plant for 35 years and then another 12-13 as an engineer in a Chrysler plant that made the engines for Fiat 500 Turbo. So this is a man with no more than a high school education who's a five on the Enneagram and just read the Bible. But one of the biggest sources for his knowledge was he had um, the whole Bible being exposited Mm. on cassette tape (laughs) by John MacArthur. Wow. It still has not to this day. So I remember growing up listening to some of those as a young kid when I became more interested in... Knowing the Bible and was told to be a godly person, I needed to be in the Scripture regularly and daily and everything. So I used to listen to those things, too. So I came up having an immense amount of respect for Nick Arthur. Mm-hmm. So then to get to that point where he released that statement, fortunately by then I had already started my journey of really learning, and, and much to what Sanchez said is true. I just continued to learn even after I got my degree in youth ministry. I already wasted enough of time. I didn't want to spend any more time and money going to school, but I had learned um, to always be a learner. So I was continuing to read different theologians, different thinkers. But then also, it's almost like there's two tracks. There's the continue to add to your theological knowledge and robustness or go the church leadership route. And the vast majority of people are going the church leadership route. because That's where the money and the fame is at. Hmm. Right. So all that being said, um, when I heard Mark Charles at um, at Q Conference in 2015 and he talked about how we the people has never met all the people and talked about the um, the 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 palpable statement of uh, 1452 and the the just everything behind how America is systemically inherently racist country, I started diving more into history. And as I was reading history, with my knowledge of church history as well, I started to match up dates and started to think to myself, this cannot be a coincidence that these things are happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love Jamar Tisby's Color of Compromise so much, because he basically confirmed a lot of the stuff that I suspected and filled in the gaps.
0: Man, bro. So, yeah, y'all are talking about a lot of like uh, crossover of stuff that's happening in real life uh, or, you know, um, socially, politically, um, with this belief system, right? Theology being the study of God or or, or this, we are going to, you know, uh, interrogate the ancient ideas about the divine, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but I want to transition that to talking about, you know, this upcoming election. Because we all know that um in twenty sixteen that it it's not far fetched to lay the responsibility for what we are living in today at the feet of Christians, even okay. American Christians. Um in fact I, I talked to and I'm I'm saying this like at the utmost respect, right? Um because I just had a conversation today with a really good friend of mine that we go way back who described themselves as a nationalist. Now, this, is a black, this is a black friend of mine, right? And so they weren't describing themselves as like a nationalist in the sense that we would think white nationalism or anything like that. This is a black person who said, I'm a nationalist in the sense that I love America. I love this country. And that informs how I, how I you know, how I moved, how I vote. And, and hearing that, I just thought, man, like you know what is it in in the way that we have talked about God in the United States that does not allow a person to see what's happening in front of them and see Pharaoh, see Caesar, see uh, Herod. I mean, you name it. Throughout the 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 stories told in the Bible, how is it that that we are unable to see? what's in front of us through the lens of this person that we're looking at is in no way a fulfillment of any kind of prophecy, unless that prophecy has to do with the doom and judgment coming to the United States. It's not like this is God's man that he propped up, say, I want you to restore righteousness to the United States. I know, I just, I'm confused as what's missing. Like, I know, you know Sanchez, you mentioned that, that pastors stopped, you know, getting educated after, after, you know, after, after uh, seminary, but, Man, what what is what are we not talking about? That's allowing people to to say to use their their faith as the reason to support a narcissistic, racist, white supremacist, misogynist, xenophobic, homophobic president.
2: Yeah, I want I want to add a a, a precursor to that statement because you said something that's very intriguing. Um, so so I grew up in in the black church. Like, like three-fourths of my life. It's only been the last eight, nine years that I've been in white evangelicalism. And, and I remember for me, when I entered into this space, it was so refreshing because I had never heard of your John MacArthur's. I had never heard of your Matt Chandler's and R.C. Sproul's and Tim Keller, John Piper and all of these people. And so even like now, I see a lot of my friends back home that are just now hopping on this bible-centric, biblocentric and reformed train, right? And a part mm-hmm. of that is still promoting this Christian nationalism um, mentality, also coupled with elitism. And mm-hmm. so there's this denouncing of the social justice and racial reconciliation. And I get where they're coming from. but I think so it, it, it's it's just because it, again, here's another controversial article that came out about Tony Evans. Uh, basically saying, essentially, like, hey, like, y'all just need to make better choices. And, and I want to get the full context, but it's a lot of this, like, this language going around, which is, I, I believe, trapping a lot of African Americans or black people in particular who have not been exposed to high intellectualism and high academia when it comes to spirituality and theology. So they don't know how to. They they have never learned how to think independently from Caesar. You mm. understand what I'm saying? So so Herod has. Did always you hear that, been Did, you hear, did you hear that? That preacher pause he just gave us. You understand what I'm saying? Do
0: you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> watch this. Now watch this.
2: Watch this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, but th- you're exactly right. So so if if you're you have to acknowledge white supremacy that's within the black church. And the Christian nationalism that has imposed its way, which is what the ba- the Black Church was birthed out of, um, mm-hmm. or as Adam Thomason says, you know, the Black Church and the Prosperity Gospel is the bastardized church, uh, child of the child. white you know white <laughs> white church, right? So so imagine that being on top of you, in addition to the current climate politically, and I think that's kind of why we're seeing some of this tension uh, politically, but. I don't think people know the difference between um, – I'm reading a book. I, I'll get the title shortly. But it's talking about the difference between, like, Christian like, evangelicalism versus, like, Christian nationalism. And this – and how nationalism and this ideology of I'm American first and I have justified Christianity behind it, that's actually people's posture now without even recognizing it. Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: There's a historical context for why that happened if you really want to get nerdy. It's called dispensational theology. <laughs> it was this this theology that looked at Revelation and interpreted mm-hmm. it through a very particular covenantal lens, where, in mm-hmm. essence, to like bring it down to layman terms, because I can't even stand the way it's talked about in academia, because they got to sound so darn smart instead of trying to make it make sense.
2: <laughs> yeah. Make, it, p- make idea, it plain, preacher. Make it plain.
1: Right. The idea is that. Chosen people's status was transferred from Israel to America. That's why we have this thing called the doctrine of discovery, which goes again back to that papal bull statement of 1452, this idea that since that time, we are God's chosen people. So America has become the city on the hill. Mm. And in order for things to play out the way that this interpretation of revelation and some of what jesus says in the gospel then israel has to return to israel Mm -hmm. and so it became very much about our um international diplomacy Mm -hmm. and what our policies was regarding in particular the middle east and Mm -hmm. here's the catch Mm -hmm. jimmy carter was the most evangelical Christian president we have ever had in the United States of America, and the evangelicals traded him straight up to Ronald Reagan, hmm. a twice married Hollywood actor hmm. who was the first
2: who was the first governor to sign on abortion. Right. In hmm.
1: the 70s. Right. Hmm. So all hmm. that to say hmm. that if you, when you're in nationalism, right, America is also connected to your religion and your understanding of how things are to play out for the kingdom of God to, you know, basically not really come on earth, but the escapism gospel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Then, yeah, you're absolutely right. And what people don't realize is the evangelicals went to being fiercely opposed to integration to all of a sudden, caring way more about international policy. That's why they didn't want Carter because mm. he would not get on their bandwagon mm. with international policy and Reagan would but also yeah. he would champion under the surface the things that prevented black people from coming up. Yeah. And so, they so, use uh, abortion as a cover.
2: So they so, still are. You, you, hype, you hype me up, so the, the name of the book is called <laughs> the, the, na- the name of the book is called "Taking America Back for, for God: Christian Nationalism in the United States." Phenomenal read so far. But to Cedric's point, now, let, you have to even go back to like the 1920s when there was this rise of the mission movement. You had your inner varsity, your young lives, all of these mission organizations sending people overseas. Why? because America couldn't and would not focus on and did not want to focus on two things the fact that we were going through the great depression in my opinion primarily because we couldn't sustain the debt that we had accrued or the money that we were living off of of slavery <laughs> mm-hmm. and so the, the 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 economy tank and secondly they did not want to deal with jim crow mm-hmm. the, the the white church did not want to deal with jim crow so they sat passively on the sidelines until the 70s when reagan signed the abortion act you had the catholic church they were up in arms about it and then next thing you know jerry Falwell comes on the scene and they make ronald reagan the poster child for their movement that's where the moral majority comes in and now here we are (laughs) 2020 you know and i've honestly i've just let it go i'm like man this abortion argument this is this is a white people's argument <laughs> this is this is this is y'all's
1: argument well and 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 Fowell came on the scene after their attempt to get around being tax exempt while being a discriminatory school was struck down by the supreme yeah. court
2: yeah, yeah. that's yeah.
1: when they yeah. went the other way
2: arguing. Arguing about abortion while still and, and the unborn while still justifying segregated schools,
1: they got <laughs> <died for laughs> religious freedom.
2: <laughs> like that that's the other the other and you know what's funny is it still manifests itself today, right? With hundred percent Right, right. So it's 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 the same it's the same stuff, it's just a new day. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I think what's different now is that you know Trump's mastery of, of manipulating crowds and audiences has been put on full display. And I think his first, um, his first chess move was the whole fake news, alternative facts yeah. rhetoric. Because yeah. Yeah. now what happens is when you get people start to, who start to articulate the history, the thing behind the thing, behind the thing, that's behind the thing that's propping him up now, people go, well, I don't know if I can trust that. Like, I don't know if I can believe that. I read something somewhere else that says something different. Like, literally the other day, my wife's having a conversation with someone who's a Trump supporter who's part of our family. And we were talking, she was, they were talking about COVID. And my wife was like, yeah, well, the CDC says yada, yada, yada. This person says, well, I read some information somewhere else that said that the CDC was yada, yada, blah, blah, was, was like, was countering that, basically saying that all of the COVID cases were made up and it was some kind of conspiracy. And I'm going... Okay. Okay. Like the CDC is supposed to be the nonpartisan institution that's supposed to deal with pandemics and public safety. Right. The politicians are also supposed to do that, but they do it in a partisan way. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna we're we're gonna say then is that the institution that's supposed to be nonpartisan is supposed to be taking care of all of us is actually somehow conspiring against (laughs) the president. And then, therefore, I should believe only the people that, the pre- that, that support the president or only the people that the president says are credible. This is what has happened with. I don't, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how so many evangelicals got swept up into this, like, conspiracy theory stuff. I really don't know what the propensity is. Maybe maybe y'all yeah. can talk to that. What's the propensity for evangelicals <laughs> to fall into this, this conspiracy? But they have fallen Totally over in the conspiracy, this deep state conversation, this all the stuff that you hear from Fox News, and they are completely bought into it. So, when you start bringing up history, when you start bringing up even data, there's always this like alternative to what you're saying from some like you know Russian sponsored uh, website or blog that they're like, Well, this news source that nobody's ever heard of is saying this. So what do you say to that? And it's just, it's just mad yeah. to have to be with right. like that.
1: Right. And yeah. even if you give them the information, we're like, well, it's not mass media, it's Like, media is <laughs> media, right. bro. If it's well, the news. It's the news. Well,
2: I keep it simple. I keep it simple. I don't, I don't listen to anybody in leadership who didn't take their own SAT. <laughs> 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 right, so, so, listen. Let's move
0: to the next thing I want to ask y'all about because it's it's actually not just in the faith community. Because of, over the last couple of days and weeks, we have uh, we've seen Ice Cube first come out with. Um, I, I watched Ice Cube's video too. I never saw him full on endorse Trump. It must be somewhere else no, we did it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but when you get into that. But then, like 56 came out and basically said it was a weird message. That was like F Trump, but let's vote for him at the same time. He's so, only like,
1: worried about his money. Sorry. Apparently, right? <laughs> so,
0: so like I've been like very disturbed by the amount of like uh, black folks coming up lately that are like, we know he don't like us, but you know he at least gonna keep some money in our pockets.
2: Yeah, secure in the bag, right? Like, right. Yeah, I mean, he—he's—they're eating, right? Like they're at the top. So, like, if you're—if mm-hmm. you're—if you're making over four hundred thousand dollars, of course, this is your guy. Mm. Economically, this is your guy, right? Because mm-hmm. he's not coming. But, but the thing is, it's a misinformation. Like, everybody's making it seem like he's going to, like, Joe Biden's going to come in and tax you like fifty percent of your income,
1: and right. that's not the they case. nailing that drum hard
2: at the yeah. Point. I mean and most people aren't even reading the policies or listening to anything and reading and listening to credible people. And so I, I think it's problematic, but that goes back to what I said earlier with this whole like black elitism now, right. Um, Mm. it's, it's, it's this thing, like we, um, I think white people don't think we, we criticize our own people or we police our own people which couldn't you be front up in front of them. <laughs> we don't do it in front of them <laughs> to give them yeah, more
0: of their right? business. It's only their business that right. no, we deal with our own, okay? You just deal right, with right. your own. You know. right.
1: we could trust that they wouldn't use it for ammunition, maybe uh, exactly. we be a little bit more exactly. out yeah. but yeah. right because yeah,
2: they're going to listen they're going list, to listen to Ice Cube and 50 Cent but they're not going to listen to Joe Button who who comes out and calls them out on that stuff, right? You you know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> so for me I I think it is. It's putting a lot more pressure on the Democratic Party. Um, I think they they ha, they realize like they need this black vote, and that black people aren't necessarily going to just vote in a in a blind sense for their party and for their causes um, because black people have been put on the back burner. But again, misinformation, miseducation. I could say the same thing about Kanye West. Misinformation, miseducation, and now. Not only politically for that dude, but now theologically. <laughs> so now you get this this nationalism, this nationalistic mindset and perspective put on top of that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. yeah anyways, yeah.
1: yeah. My my, my my oh, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Ice Cube literally got me first, through the first three weeks of the post election twenty sixteen. I was mm. listening to nothing but like early Ice Cube. <laughs> Solo albums and Public Enemy to get me through the first three weeks. I'm serious. I said yeah. no lie. And that Tribe Called Quest album that came out right before there, right? Hmm. So to hear him, hmm. and I, I think it is important distinction that he's not saying I'm endorsing Trump. He's saying Trump is the only one that's sitting at the table with me. To which I want to say, you fool! Of course he gonna sit with you because he. Believe that we all gonna listen to you, cause you're rich and you're wealthy. But you need to learn something. Listen yeah, to man. propaganda, right? Yeah. What does he yeah. often say on the um on on politics? On, on, on hood Breakouts. politics, no, totally. politics. Yeah. can't out gangster gangster, mm-hmm. and you yeah. a, you a gangster rapper. Trump yeah. is a yeah. mob boss. You ain't gonna go sure. out gangster him for sure. And yeah. he's done this okie doke all his. Life where he gets you to sit at the table, and he tells you everything you want to hear, and then when it's time to pass out the dividends, you always coming up short, and he got the bag. And then yeah. you sitting there wondering what happened.
0: Yeah, man. So. Yeah, I think it's a little bit problematic how much how much um, faith we put in a black celebrity. And, you know, uh, it's because, like, and and I think, I think, essentially, as you know, something interesting uh, about the whole us holding our own accountable, like within the black community, like, I remember when Lil Wayne came out with um, Uproar, which is, I loved the beat, the, the song, like, it just like, I was like, this is amazing. And then I heard him say, if she iffy, the drugs go. And I said, I I." How in a culture, right, how in a culture where we have a Me Too movement, where we are trying to deconstruct the toxic patriarchy that, like, has been sort of arm-in-arm arm with white supremacy to, to, to monopolize and control the way people think and behave in our country, how can I be like, how can I not say something about that, right? How, how can I, like, mm-hmm. not object to that? And it's, so anytime I see rappers come out with, like, some delusional ideas about politics or whatever... I'm actually not shocked. I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, we should have seen this coming. Like, we should have seen yeah. some of this now, now Now, like there's folks, you know, Jay-Z and, and Ice Cube and, and a lot of folks have done a lot of good uh, in the black community, but that does, mm-hmm. not, that does not mean that everything that they say and do is right. above reproach or that they can't be held accountable for, you know, saying some stuff that's erroneous or wrong. And I just meant I would, I appreciate y'all being willing to say like, hey, you know, that's out of bounds or Hey, that's one way to look at it, but I, I think it's uninformed. While also holding the tension that, like you know, we don't need to air all of our dirty laundry in front of white folks to give them ammunition, you know, yeah, to yeah. For, uh, our oppression.
2: Yeah, I, I I I'm real sensitive to that, man. And like, it it we're in such a crucial time, and I I, I I'm looking at the the different generations. I, I'm looking at the boomers who are in one place, right? Like they're tired. They they they've sang the song over and over and they're just trying to they're trying to survive the the last days, right? And then mm-hmm. you've got the 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 Gen Xers who are kind of caught in between this boomer uh legacy but also with this millennial like rage and like forward thinking. And then you have the millennials that are that are just all over the place, you know, uh the, the we are the social media age but we still know life you know as dinosaurs and then you got gen z that they are just <laughs> like i don't f it all i don't even care right, this right. Is my my feelings are truth mm. <laughs> not not mm. not not a not a book not a credible source my feelings are truth and so what what is happening is ice cube is projecting in my opinion like behaviors from like generally speaking a lot of Gen Zers. I'm just gonna say how I feel and that's gonna be truth, even though it's highly uninformed. And mm-hmm. I wonder if he's got people that are like he's willing to sit at the table with people that can help inform him. Because a lot of these people don't. Like who who's sitting at a table with Kanye right yeah. now and saying, hey bro, like let me help you understand why your theology is wrong. Or parts right. of your theology mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. this. Let me help you mm-hmm. understand why I'm grateful that you and Kim did the prison reform, but let me help you understand how you're a pawn in this system, right? Mm-hmm. Same mm-hmm. with preachers, right? But but if you're chasing the dollar and if you're chasing fame and if you're chasing platform, that's always going to be greater than, than actually the common good mm-hmm. of, of humanity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, at what point do you become content with the bag that you have secured? So that you can now leverage your platform, your influence to really, really influence and educate people um, in, a, in, a, in an accurate and, and really exonerating uh, uh, way, in my opinion. So, yeah, yeah
1: man. And, and this whole plan for black people thing is like, bro, while he's sitting at the table with you making this platinum plan for black people, He's been untold the Proud Boys and other white supremacist groups to stand back and stand by (laughs) a week earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So who's he playing?
2: Yeah.
1: Because it's probably not them. Yeah. It's probably not them. Because the reality is, last time around, he still got the lowest percentage of black votes, I think, ever. 6%. 6%. He got the, right, he got, and, and it was like uh, 98% of black women were like, please, no, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And the only remaining margin he got was black men, which again, the patriarchy that draw to power mm-hmm. that many black men have not broken away from, like so many other men, regardless of assigned race
0: yeah man yeah for sure absolutely that's so much more I wish we could talk- we could talk about down that that road because there's some more um you know things within the the community from from comedy to music to entertainment that you know sort of mm-hmm. reinforce our own oppression and certainly with the way we we deal with our with our with black women but that's a conversation for a hush harbor all right you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Some place where we don't have a white gaze, you know. Um but man, I, I so appreciate you brothers and, and and the perspective that you share, um, the work you're doing. I, I love to be having conversations with people that like have done some some educating of themselves because you kind of the I feel like the more you learn, the more open handed you become with what you know. You know, yeah. like you just be like, I'm not sure that yeah. this is the actual answer because you become aware of how many options there are, right? Yeah. Incredible options. I'm not just talking about yeah. like you know, just the crazy stuff, but the, like durable options and beliefs that there are about the world. And I and I'll just say, like, for me, um so many of, of my friends that are evangelical and Christians, you know, black folks and 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 non-black folks are like, they use socialism as this like boogeyman, right? It's like <laughs> I'm afraid, you know, we're going to introduce socialism. I'm like, ah, uh, like you. The more you read it and learn to understand, you're like, socialism is not as ugly as you thought it it was. It's not like this the, it has had it has had some strongholds and done harm to people. But guess what? Capitalism has done the same, and perhaps more. You look at the United States and look at the way Black and Brown folks and Asian folks have been treated in this country, and tell me that socialists have socialism has done worse to people. <laughs> if you want to play. That, that right. kind of right, but like it's like those things that 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 scare people. And I go, I think that scares you because you don't quite understand it. Like right, I think, yeah, I think you also don't recognize that we already have socialism in our the way we do things already.
2: It's, it's called white, white privilege. privilege. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's
2: called white privilege. <laughs> Can you tell <laughs> we've talked about this before? Uh, it, is, yeah. it is amazing.
0: It's amazing. And, and like, the, I mean, I, I will, I'll say one more thing to let you guys, let, let, you know, get you some final thoughts from you and let you go. But like, I was just talking to my wife today about how, you know, people will, will say things like, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't, we don't want to change the way we're doing things because we don't want poor people to take advantage of the system. Like some of the measures in California that are like, that are in favor of people who are on the, the poor end of the spectrum you start the people on the, on the richer end of the spectrum are like, well, if we change that law, then those people are going to take advantage of it. And I go, what the hell have you been doing? Like I you've learned you <laughs> like one of the first things you've learned in rich dad, poor dad is about how to avoid paying certain taxes. Like you're learning to take advantage of the system, but just because you get to take advantage of the system from a higher place in the caste and hierarchy, doesn't mean that you're not still taking advantage of it. So why can you look at people on the lower end, the, the, the poor, the, the, the lower middle class, and say, hey, you are, you're not allowed to take advantage of the system. That's a, that's a privilege only reserved for us.
2: Yeah. I would, I would charge people to, go, especially Christians, just go read the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> just go exegete that book and tell me that, that it's not... It's not Um, getting all of us to understand that nobody's supposed to be left behind and everybody's supposed to be on the equal playing field. You you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it really is that simple in the kingdom. Like, Mm. like, do we really think like we're going to be ranked in the kingdom? Like, do you really think like we're, we're ranked in those different categories? No, those are, those are very much human and and American especially American ideas. So
1: yeah, uh, well, sure. not even so much that we're all on the same playing field because it gave provisions for you know people to pay off debts via uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't want to say slavery, but um, <laughs> <it didn't laughs> <be laughs> servitude, <conservative>, servitude, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it was, to your point, Sanchez, designed to make sure that there was no poor among them,
0: right? It was and, foreigners, make, and foreigners, and
1: foreigners, right? And it was designed to take care of foreigners and sojourners. Who came through? It was yeah. meant to be way more just than the pagan societies that they had passed through and escaped. Yeah. So it was like yeah. it's unavoidable. And the New Testament, and this is the thing that kills me on the real Acts two forty two was a real legitimate like movement, was it not?
0: Hundred percent. And people are always mostly trying to talk around, about. Let's get back to that.
1: Right. Mostly centered around white evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And these are the same people who want to be like, no, to socialism, the socialism yeah. is evil. Yeah. Then what were you talking about? But here you want to get back history? to the early
0: church. What, right, what is it that you want to get back to that the acts you're always <clears throat> referring to the book of acts and saying, yeah, in the book of acts, they had this and they did this and they did that and the other. You also mm-hmm. realize in the book of acts, that they had everybody bring all of their goods and they shared them equally, and so much so it was such a mandate
2: that mm-hmm. two people died for they not doing it. Drop dead. So, like, yeah. but, <laughs> but 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 hang on, hang on, time out, time out, time <laughs> out. I, I, I almost said this earlier. I almost said this. This is the conundrum that I that I see in America, right? Like, hypothetically speaking, go with me here. Like, white people think they're the Jews. Mm-hmm. Black people think like they empathize with the Jews, right? But like there, there are clear like class distinctions, right? Like, black people tend to be the Jews like hanging out in Nazareth, <laughs> and, and white people tend to be the Jews hanging out in Rome, and it's still that same mentality. Like I, I say tongue in cheek, but like it really is like when you think about resonating with the different like parts of scripture and stories, but it is that same mentality, and both aren't able to like recognize that, and and like I would say you know. I don't want to classify or call people out, but it's important that we don't get in this mindset that we are Jews and that like we, we are the center of the story because we're not. Mm. Um, and I would say white evangelicals, more so, in my opinion, have centered everything around them and their Christian identity identity,. Right. borderline Christian nationalism, so yeah, when they're more yeah. like Rome than anything. Yeah, but, but, but can't but, cannot see, but the scales haven't fallen off, right? Yeah, like when they, the story they, they starts.
0: When the story starts with you as the hero, like I mean, so think about any story you've ever seen. Yeah, when that story begins and they and they show you, like even I, I, you know, I have arguments all the time with people about Game of Thrones, because when they introduce Daenerys to us as the advocate of peace and justice, and she is going to restore goodness back to the Seven Kingdoms. Then you start to think everything she does is justified. If she burns people with a dragon, it's justified. If she does everything is because, because in your yeah. mind, they told you at the beginning of the story. This is the hero. And when you are when you grow up white in the United States, from the time you can speak, read, be taught anything, they're teaching you. Christopher Columbus, your great, 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 great ancestor, came here peacefully on this boat came over here and the pilgrims came over here and they shared good, like all of these things that you're told. So everything that happens is justified. And anytime you hear a story being told, you naturally bring yourself to the center of it and identify with the people that are supposed to be the protagonists in the story. You could never see yourself as the people who nailed Jesus to the cross. You're only the people Jesus died
1: for. I love and if that, that go ahead, go ahead,
2: go ahead because yeah,
1: I, I was me and my wife, huge Game of Thrones fans, and we were one of the few people that actually liked the finale and didn't have mm-hmm. a huge issue with it. And yeah. it was because we said the breadcrumbs was there the whole time that she was a tyrant. I miss him. Y'all couldn't see it.
0: <laughs> I miss it. <her> totally.
1: <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Anytime somebody crossed her from. The first season, they end up being burnt to a pit. <laughs> Maybe not initially, but eventually, eventually. yeah, Right? They got. She very rarely showed mercy. Mm. But she believed she was the hero of the story because that's what she had been told, and she bought it. And mm-hmm. that's yeah. a perfect illustration of the gist way so many people have been deceived and believing that they're the hero that they can't even see what place they'd actually be in the street.
0: yeah 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 for sure well fellas thanks so much for for your time like tonight this evening coming on uh, uh, to to record this podcast live in front of a live Facebook audience shout out to all of you who watch live especially our, our girl Allie Smith, Allie Henny Smith, who's watched this whole time trolling us a little bit, but she's still here watching. Shout out to you. My girl, Um, my girl. Thank you to all All of you who are listening to the podcast, who are Patreon supporters. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. Of course, I want to thank um, my guest, Cedric Sanchez, and make sure you check out their podcast, Token Confessions. And thank you to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world one conversation at a time.